Marshall, at the time that the first ears are hearing these sweet, sweet waveforms, it will be December of 2020, uh-huh. which means you're on vacation, right? Oh, uh, if it's the 11th or the 12th, then yes. Oh, how about this? Still alarming. It is December. Wow, where <laughs> did this year go? Am I right? <laughs> Welcome to episode 375, the iPhone 10 size episode of Design Details. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was the first 375 screen? Uh, I think it was probably the 6, I think. Yeah, somewhere in there. Wow, good good stretch. Well, this is this is a round number for people who have ever designed for iOS. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Who are you? Oh, I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Yeah, at 375, good way. I was like, yeah, this is a nice kind of like round number, but yeah, 375, that's every number kind of has this extra meaning when you work <laughs> in numbers all day. And yeah, 375 just stands out as, yeah, oh, iPhone width. Yep, yep, yep. Here, Here's the thing that I've finally just accepted about Apple, because I always was annoyed about their use of odd numbers. And the reason is that they want a perfect center. Like they want a pixel in the center of everything, which is why a lot of their icons are 19 or 17 yeah yeah they they want a one pixel center and then an even number on either side i mean it must be otherwise like why do they keep doing this and so anyways that's why 375 was always so frustrating but you had to like really come up with a a mental framework like all right here's how i design around 75 i like work in from the edges and don't look for I don't go center out, right? Yeah. How do you, how do you center? Do you do you go half a pixel to the right or half a pixel to the left? Which which side do you fall on? Anyways, iPhones. Uh, now now we're up to what four twenty eight or something on the the Pro Max. Something huge. Something. So at least it's even. Man, now I want to talk about that center icon because like they don't even have one point icon widths, right? Like the 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 stroke on all of their icons is two points or a point and a half, right? Yeah. I mean, at Dub Dub last. January or whenever the last dub dub was, they came out with all these really nice videos of all the design changes for iOS. And I think I watched the SF symbols and, and typography. Oh yeah. And there were so many moments in that video that I was just screenshotting and sending to you. I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on with these measurements? Yeah. But ultimately it came down to that. Yeah. They had to have some system for why it's always. Anyways, yeah. we got an episode. Let's get into it. Okay. First of all, we have some new very important pixels this week. Boy, oh boy, too, we, Brian. Oh, my boy, God. Oh, boy. What happened? I don't know, but I'm happy about it. It's so cool. This is really cool. Y'all came through. We had a big yeah. week. Uh, so we're going to list off some names here um, in Brian's favorite weekly segment called uh, Brian Fucks Up the Way Your Name is Pronounced. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's my favorite weekly installment. If Brian butchers your name. <laughs> All right. Huge shout outs to Ashish Negi, Alyssa Zhang, Tiffany C. Yu, Alexandra Strasek, Richard Picot, Sam Olendi, Camille Lafer, Jackie Carr, Joaquin Kunkel, Fabian Valkenberg, ooh, that's cool, Belen Lozano, Robing Chen, Ryan Hassan, Jesse Box, Thomas Bishop, Oscar Newman, and David Bill. Wow. That's a hell of a list, Brian. Hell of a list. Good names in there, too. Wow. Uh, uh, Jesse Box. 
That's a nice, uh, yeah. You know, uh, Jesse Box model, more like. Yeah, yeah. You know? Jesse Sphere, <laughs> Jesse uh, Rectangular Prism, however you want to say it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can we speculate a little bit? Sure. I, I wish people would tweet at us because it'd be cool for us to like, I mean, I mean, we're doing this indirectly, but we're trying to find what's the most, what's the best content? Like, what do people want to hear? What gets people excited enough? to support the show. Mm-hmm. Let's keep making more of that. Mm-hmm. And so last week in the sidebar, we talked about auto layout V3 in Figma. So maybe more just deeper crafty workflow stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. Happy to do that. <laughs> yeah. Something resonated. So hit us up, tweet at us if there's a particular reason that this was a big week. Yeah, this one just hit. If you didn't know, we're a listener supported podcast, which means that you person, human being listening to the show right now, Many people like you who have been enjoying the show are responsible for making it happen every single week. And people support us directly on Patreon, and that helps us pay for all of our subscriptions, hardware, software, website, hosting, all of this stuff adds up. And you make it possible. If you have been enjoying the show, or even if this is your first week listening, we would really appreciate it if you supported us by going to patreon.com slash design details. Support starts for just a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. It's really approachable and accessible. And when you do subscribe, you'll get access to a supporter-only segment of every episode called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. In this week's Sidebar, we shared all of our thoughts and tips and tricks and ideas for how to start a successful design podcast. Which you should do. Which you should do. We need more podcasts. So if you want to hear our thoughts on starting a design podcast, head to patreon.com slash design details and consider supporting us. Starts just a buck a month, and we really appreciate it. We're getting up there, almost to 400 uh, supporters making the show possible. So thank you, everyone. Thank you to everybody. Awesome. All righty. A little bit of follow-up. So, Marshall, last week we talked about the end of the Mac era. We got a couple messages. So the first message came from Jay Sowell on Patreon. He left a comment on the episode saying, So you guys talked about Apple and the ecosystem, and I mostly agree. This made me think, for what reasons? Who knows? What about these widgets that they've adapted from Android? How limited or far-reaching should their functionality be? Me personally, I struggle with Apple's clock widget. It's perfectly fine if all you want to do is keep up with time in other places, but the clock app itself has things for stopwatch, timer. It seems like such a waste to only have the functionality that it does. I've been prototyping an alternative. I was wondering how you feel about this area. Yeah, what's interesting about Apple widgets is they don't have any interior functionality, right? Like, it's basically just one big button. For the most part, yeah. Maybe a few different big buttons, but, like, you can't do anything inside there. There's no swiping, there's no, like, long pressing or anything. All that stuff does OS-level things, not widget-level things, right? So your functionality is immediately really diminished. (laughs) So I don't know. I, I assume that was intentional. It's like... These widgets, you're not supposed to spend time in them. These are just windows into the app. If you want to do stuff in the app, tap on it and go in there, right? In the same way that like a watch notification is just like a window into that thing. You want to do more stuff on it, either tap into it and do stuff on the watch app or pick up your phone, you know? Yeah, I, I think the dub dub talk about designing a great widget is useful here. We'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah. But yeah, they're supposed to be more glanceable. And a lot of this comes down to not trying to build app experiences on the home screen that are going to use up a lot of data, use a lot of battery. It's supposed to be like infrequently updated or updated just in time right. kind of information that helps you decide whether or not you need to open an app at all. So like the weather widget, you know, helps you from ever having to open the weather app mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, depending on what size you have. But I guess all of that maybe shouldn't excuse, I don't know, 
it's the first year for these, right? Like iOS 14 just came out. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of evolution happening in the first party apps as far as widget types they support. So maybe we'll see a bunch of new clock widgets next year and it'll become like a Apple Watch style event every keynote where it's like, these are all the new first party widgets in the same way every year. It's like, these are all the new complications that you can put Uh, on your watch. Something like that. Perhaps different kinds of functionality. Like maybe you'll be able to do things like non-data intensive things, starting a timer or something, and you could just sort of slide on the widget. I don't know. I could imagine that being pretty useful for people. So Yeah, we're also in this weird middle ground of like old widgets living right next to new widgets. So that kind of makes it weird. That's right, yeah. Waiting for the third parties to kind of get in line. Anyways, uh, thanks for the question, Jay. Uh, We also had a tweet from Tobias Gerder, who uh, said, after an unexpectedly easy transition to Android from forever iPhone, I actually tried to switch to PC a year ago. Not as easy, (laughs) but stuck with it. Uh, Hard to find hardware that felt good enough. Went for the Surface laptop, but Windows, yikes. Yeah, yikes is right. I mean, that's the ecosystem lock-in, and I think this is why people don't like apple because it's so hard to transition i'm actually surprised that tobias had an easy time transitioning from android to iphone because that freaking iMessage garden man like it makes it really hard to leave green Um, bubbles green bubbles yeah Yeah, it took me six months to transition from being pc for life to moving to max so i I understand feel the pain now i'm ambidextrous brian you are os fluid (laughs) Yeah, OS fluid, yeah. Uh, Amboestrous? Ambostrious. Ambostrious. Capital <laughs> OS. Uh, anyways, thanks for the tweet, Tobias. Thanks, Tobias. Uh, and I have one little last tiny piece of, uh, of follow-up. I thought of a, a, another um, saving users from themselves thing, Brian. Okay, I have a few extras as well. Okay, cool, perfect. I'm sure I'll think of other ones, and that's what this follow-up section is for. So um, we'll, we'll keep them coming. But yeah, I was typing the other day, And uh, I don't know if you know this or if you remember this, but when Apple first created this like on-screen keyboard instead of a physical keyboard in the first iPhone, one of the things they touted was how letters will become larger, make their tap targets larger, if they know that the next letters in the given word that you're typing are more or less likely. You know what I mean? Wild. I actually didn't know it was that extreme. Yeah. Try it for yourself. Like try typing the first few letters of a known word and then tap a random letter like Q and see what it lets you do. Okay. All right. That's really cool. If it's way off or maybe like tap the letter next to the letter that you would expect to be the next letter. Anyways, you get the idea. All right. That's a good one. Uh, I've got a couple others. These were uh, actually came in from from tweets. Oh, cool. So Divya Talk tweeted one more thing. How in GitHub, when you're trying to delete a repo, you have to go through so many hoops. And it reminded me there is this pattern. GitHub has it if you're trying to delete a repo. But I've seen this on a lot of other services where you're trying to delete something very significant. They force you to type in the name of the thing. <laughs> have you mm. seen that? Mm-mm. Oh, you oh, have, yeah. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah. Where is is that like on Discord or something? Yeah, I've seen that before. You or, or no, it's I think it's actually on YouTube. You have to type the name of your channel to delete your channel. Something like that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's no way to accidentally misclick a button or or accidentally do this thing. You have to type a perfect character match of the name of the thing that you are deleting. There's there's a lot of layers there. You're acknowledging the deletion. It's avoiding uh, accidental deletion. So mm-hmm. that's a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this other one came from a tweet from Havana Wynn who says, my favorite examples that were not mentioned in the episode, don't show me posts like this. The context is like on a self-harm content on Tumblr feeds. You could say, I don't want to see this. Yep. 
Uh, another example was a prompt that asks, did you mean today or tomorrow if you set an alarm around midnight? And then Havana mentioned a simplified driving mode player on Audible, which maybe you know about. Yeah. But it reminded me that Spotify has the same thing. If you are driving, it hides all the main UI mm-hmm. and basically gives you these huge, chunky play next buttons, yep. right? Big fat button mode. Yep. And then that reminded me of the feature on iOS, which is do not disturb while driving, which just detects if you're driving and automatically turns on do not disturb. And if someone texts you, it automatically responds to that person and says, hey, they're driving, they'll get back to you soon. Wild. Yep. And then the last one, this tweet came from Jordan Morgan, who has this interaction that they've built into their app where after you drag and drop something, there's a little toast that pops up that says, you know, you dragged this thing to this thing. It's like, make sure you got it to the right place. But that sort of reminded me of the new prompt in iOS 14. Whenever you paste something, Mm. a system level toast appears from the top that says pasted content from the clipboard from Mm -hmm. such and such app. Mm -hmm. And it's like a privacy indicator like, hey, we are doing this thing in the background. You pasted, but just so you know, like this app had it. Uh, Yep. So that's another good example. I have another one. Okay. One last one. Uh, Inline muted play. So if you're watching a video or something or scrolling through a feed and there's videos that play automatically, having them muted by default and you have to opt in to, to playing the sound, that way you don't blast something on the train or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah, That saved me many a time. All righty. That was some good follow-up. Well, I'll, I'll add these into the blog post that we have for you know all these examples. We'll put some screenshots in as well. Cool. All right, main topic. Okay, this is something that has come up in the last couple of weeks that feels just right for us to sort of riff on. And basically, it is the Big Sur new app icon style. And here's what's happened. So Big Sur has sort of created a new consistent shape for icons. It wants them everything to be a rounded rectangle square. And apps are slowly evolving to, to match that style. But there's people who are tweeting that they're upset that certain apps haven't yet migrated to that style. For example, uh, Things actually updated their icon for Big Sur, but it's not perfectly square. It's like Mm. slightly vertically rectangular. (laughs) And then, you know, of course, there's just apps that haven't switched over yet, which is probably most apps at this point since Big Sur is so new. And this just reminded me of how crazy town it is that like two weeks ago, people were freaking out over the new Google icons for Gmail and Calendar and Mm -hmm. Meet and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. saying that the consistency of those was explicitly bad because it's really hard to distinguish between the two. And I feel the same thing is happening here on Big Sur. Like This new shape is very pretty in isolation. Each individual app icon, it's like, ooh, that looks really nice. But in concert, in suite, when you have multiple of them along a row in the dock, each individual one is harder to identify just by scanning using that sort of silhouette as a affordance of what the thing is. Yep. And so I thought we could talk about this, I guess we'd call it hypocrisy, where people really want the consistency here in this case, but when the Google icons were updated, everyone was like, this is bad consistency. (laughs) And I would almost argue that the Mac OS Big Sur changes are bad consistency. So yeah. This is where I want to start. Okay. Well, 
maybe I'll, I'll give a little bit of a, a little background history lesson here. So uh, you didn't remember this, and I had to make sure that I didn't dream it. But back in Yosemite, Apple did their first phase of this kind of icon cleanup stuff where they reduced the number of silhouettes, quote unquote, allowed to three, right? So they had a circle, a rounded kind of squat rectangle, and a tilted, sharp-edged rectangle. And we'll have a link in the show notes to an article detailing that. But I think it's interesting that this is actually like the second phase of their attempt to consistentize the icons. And this is more consistent, I guess. But yeah, okay, so let's talk a little bit about if it's whether it's good or not. Um, so first off, I, I am an employee of Google, so let me just say these opinions are my own, and uh, I'm just speaking as a as a designer, not as a designer who works at Google. But um, yeah, what's interesting about, I think, the Google icons is not so much the consistency of the shape, but the consistency of the color, because every single icon has red, yellow, green, and blue in it instead of being all red or all yellow or all green or all blue, right? Like I think that was one of the big things with the Google like productivity apps. So like slides was yellow, now it's red, green, and blue and yellow. Meet was green, but now it's red, green, blue, and yellow. Uh-huh. Docs was blue, but now it's red, green, blue, and yellow. Sheets was green, but now it's red, green, blue, and yellow. So it's uh-huh. like uh, at a glance, you can't see any of these. You have to use that interior silhouette of the glyph inside of the rounded rectangle to figure out what the thing is now as opposed to just a color glance plus shape, et cetera. So when it comes to the Apple ones, like they still have differences within that bounds, and it's easy to tell numbers apart from Keynote, apart from pages, because they, they're actually all different colors and different shapes and everything in a way that the Google suite isn't different. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I feel like, okay, so you have this problem that you have lots of applications and you need, you need ways for people to distinguish what app is what app. So you give them icons. And within icons, you have all these things that you can control that will help people identify what the icon represents. You know, this is usually like a brand logo, but in the case of something like messages, it's a chat bubble. So mm-hmm. you have some sort of ornament on top of it. And then it's the metaphor. Yeah. You, then you have things like color and shape and size and you have all these ways to help people distinguish between different kinds of things and so i guess maybe one question that i would be interested to speculate on is why is it so important for these to be consistent because in google's case they got rid of color as a differentiating element and in big sur we're getting rid of shape as a differentiating element so they both have ornament they both have uh maybe some size that you can play with and uh, like the metaphor, the icon that, that mm-hmm. is going on, right? So an M for male. Mm-hmm. But both companies have said, of the list of things we can use to help icons be different from each other, we're going to cut one of them. Or at least we're going to start enforcing that one of them is not friendly to the platform. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's one less knob to turn or lever to pull when yeah. it comes to differentiating your glyph from others. Why? Why? What's the benefit in doing that? Why is this good? Um, I don't know. Well, maybe we can do a little bit more history. So um, Android used to be in the same boat, right? Like Android had uh, unique silhouettes for every single icon, and it was Wild West. You could do whatever you wanted to within these this size of bounds. And as a result, home screens, especially in that grid style, 
looked kind of messy, in my opinion. Um, I'm not sure what the reasoning was for going to more consistent shape, but now in Android, there are a few different shapes that are chosen by the OEM, so like Samsung or whoever, HTC, they make a decision whether they want a circle or a rounded rectangle or a squircle, I think is the other shape that's available. We'll have a link in the show notes to this, but... Yeah, it's it's a lot more consistent when you look at a grid of things. Does this translate to a horizontal row of a dock? I don't know. I think those are kind of different beasts. Maybe there's some shared things between them, but I feel like maybe it's different use cases. I don't know. What do you think? I, I don't know. I, I suppose it feels like the decision, I mean, obviously there's probably a lot of reasons for this, but one decision certainly seems to be aesthetics. Like one just looks prettier. Sure, um, at a glance, if you, yeah. If you blur your eyes a little bit. Uh, but I, I feel like that prettierness, the aesthetic upgrade, is at the cost of usability, glanceability, scanability, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the Google example, I think, really stands out if you think about the way people actually use Google products, which for most people who are in G Suite, you're using multiple of these things at the same time. You have Gmail open at the same time as you have Calendar open at the same time you have Drive open. Mm-hmm. And the way you differentiate those properties in your dock is, or sorry, in your browser is through favicons. And if the favicons at a small size all kind of look the same, now it's really fucking hard to figure out which tab you should go to. So the way people actually use the thing seems to have gotten lost in translation with, oh, this is pretty because it's consistent and fits with our brand, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm a little worried the same thing is happening with Big Sur. Like each one on their own is fucking gorgeous. I love it. The idea... Like there's an itch in my brain being scratched by having the consistent shape and like sort of guideline here. But when you're actually trying to quickly find an icon in your dock or or when you're command tabbing, if they all look the same, you have to just spend more cognitive energy figuring out where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's um kind of a memory palace thing at play here too. <laughs> of like, what does that mean? Uh, you don't know what memory palaces? I don't think I've heard that. Oh, first. it's a it's a great concept. So. The backstory here is, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but basically back in Roman times or some shit, I don't know, there was like a building collapse and a philosopher, I'm getting this all fucked up, but like there's a philosopher who was at this wedding ceremony or whatever when the building collapsed and he was able to remember where everyone was sitting at the table based on their location. Well, like I was sitting here and then this person was to my left and they were able to like recover these people from the rubble because they knew where to look, right? So what what this spawned was this idea of like, it's a lot easier to remember things when they have a physical location attached to them. So this created this kind of memory system of, of remembering large sets of things by attaching them to known locations. So for example, you could choose like your childhood home and remember a bunch of really random stuff by creating an image and placing it in a location of that known area. So on your front step is the first thing you want to remember. And then when you go into the foyer, there's another thing that you want to remember there. And it's a lot easier to like recall those things if there's that association. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So okay. when you when you have a grid layout like you do on a phone, it's a lot easier to have that muscle memory of, oh yeah, oh yeah, top right and then down one or whatever, you know, column three, row five, whatever it happens to be, you can jump to it really quick and you're not even necessarily relying on the shape or whatever, maybe that's an additional thing, but like this, the, the location becomes a new lever or a new knob to help you identify this particular thing that you're trying to find in a dock when that's kind of changing as apps get added or removed or depending on how many apps you actually keep in your dock, 
the size of that thing can grow and shrink and your muscle memory no longer becomes applicable. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, okay, so this gets to an interesting point, which is like maybe I'm just a weird user of this because I use my dock in a weird way. Tell me if this is weird. Uh, okay. I have nothing pinned there. Me too. So All right. Nothing is pinned. <laughs> me too. Things only appear in the dock when the app open. is running. Yeah, right? yep, yep. And I use Alfred or I suppose most people would use Spotlight. That is for launching applications, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And command tab to go between them or mission control, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so in, in our world, the icon position will never be permanent unless you just always happen to have one app open and it ends up sort of shuffling its way to the left, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd argue it's it's more important to have differentiation in this use case than it would be on a phone, say. Exactly, yeah. I mean, even if I just open up, I don't even know what you call this, Launchpad, whatever the like app grid is in macOS. Oh, yeah, Launchpad, I think is like, what Does anybody use that? <laughs> no, nobody in the history of the planet Earth has ever used this. But if you open it and kind of scroll through your app icons, just because this is the biggest way to see them, mm-hmm. I would argue that the best first-party icons are the ones that explicitly break the bounds of that square because... It adds another layer of scannability. I'm looking yep. at like Automator, TextEdit, GarageBand. They all break the bounds mm-hmm. and they're better for it yeah. as opposed to, I think, you know, Numbers, Keynote, Pages, these iWork apps. I think they took a step backwards because they took this iconic silhouette of the bar graph, sort of the, the podium Keynote thing and, and the, the page plus pen from Pages they took these iconic silhouettes and put them all inside of a white square. It's mm-hmm. like I have to spend more time figuring out which is which. So yeah, yeah, in this context, it does feel like a regression. Yeah, I think it's all about the the use case or or, or the environment that these things are in. Yeah, this is this is tough because like the design systems part of me wants to have this consistency, but the user who has to scan these things, wants them to be different. So I don't know. Yeah, this is where I that tension feels like we made the wrong choice. Like we made the de- designers made the choice that felt best for other designers. <laughs> like yeah. other designers would see it and appreciate it. We never do that, Brian. That never happens. Yeah. I guess the last thing that I think is kind of interesting about the way Big Sur icons work, and I'm really curious if we'll bring this to iOS at any point, is that you can have an alpha channel. Like you can have transparency on the app icons. And so Sketch did this, right? Sketch kind of made the rounds on Twitter because when they showed their new app icon for the Big Sur version, the back square sort of has these panes that represent the sidebar and and the the toolbar from the app itself. Mm -hmm. And those are semi-transparent. So whatever the color of your wallpaper is, that will sort of shine through and your app icon feels a little dynamic and part of the system. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, they have to have an alpha channel, right? Well, we don't have that on iOS. No, we don't. Well, what goes even further is the Apple TV icons. Those have layers. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and, and parallax and depth. Will we ever get that on any of these things? You could imagine it. I mean, it seems on iOS and iPadOS, like the mobile systems are trying to go flatter, and I guess that makes sense. But on Mac, there seems to be a very intentional effort to keep things layered and have depth and drop shadows and everything. They even like include a drop shadow in these icons. Like you have to have a drop shadow mm-hmm. um, and you, and, and they want things to be rendered and look 3d in a way that they don't want them to look that way on iOS. So 
I wonder if we'll ever get kind of that more dimension on Mac or if they'll keep that relegated to just Apple TV. I wonder. It's so yeah, I don't know cuz on Apple TV I'd argue the same problem exists. Like, you know, you have your four sort of top whatever docked yeah, icons or mm-hmm. apps. Five, I think. And those yeah. ones you just memorize by position. Mm-hmm. But everything else, it's really hard to scan for stuff. Like if you actually scroll down in the list of all the apps on your Apple TV, it takes a lot of work to figure out which one is which because you really have to rely on text to to read, in my opinion. I don't know. I think I think the background color on those becomes even more important. You know, it's not just uh, the glyph inside. Like you need that background splash of like, oh yeah, this is Hulu or, or this mm. is podcast because it's purple. Or even music being fuchsia, like those pop out more when when you lose that shape. Yeah, we'll see where this goes. I feel like the most successful icons that we're going to see on Big Sur are going to be ones that play with the boundary of the the square, even if they lean into the square a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think the more successful ones will be the more skeuomorphic ones, like the ones sort of like things stands out where it looks like a tray of pads of paper, mm-hmm. or notes where it looks like a notepad, like these things have multiple layers of identification and the shape kind of just bounds it versus something like Safari or messages where it's sort of a glyph inside of a shape with a color. Yep. So I'll be curious to see how this evolves, but it does seem when you showed me that Yosemite evolution where they went from the wild west to like three pre-approved shapes and now we're down to one sort of pre-approved shape. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird progression. Maybe we'll just get used to it and forget that this was ever a problem. <laughs> but it does feel a little bit like consistency for consistency's sake. Yeah, I mean, I think people have about a two-week memory when it comes to stuff, so this will pass too, probably. <laughs> this too shall pass. Yeah. All right, well, on that note, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's move on. Let's wrap up with some cool things. All right, yeah, long episode, but let's do some cool things. Do I'll you- go first. All right, Marshall, I'm going to say something. Tell me if this rings a bell for you. Okay. Line Rider. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The little sled guy. Yeah. Uh Okay. So if you were on the internet, I guess this this was like 10 years ago. Oh, Flash came from 2006. Okay, so 15 years ago. I was going to say, it's been uh, really Flash. There's this game called Line Rider. And this game was so fun. I played this all the time. I remember it was, I think it got ported to like a Facebook game. And we played this (laughs) all the time on Facebook. But Line Rider is this idea. You have this canvas and you can draw lines. And then you have this little character that's on a sled and you hit start, and it sort of drops your character. And when it encounters a line, it slides along the line. So you can build intricate tracks and mazes and courses for your little sledder person. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I came across this article this week, and the title, I mean, this was just Nostalgia Central. It says, I spent 11 years working on this line rider track. And I was like, holy shit. First oh of all, I haven't God. thought about line rider in 11 years. Yeah, yeah. And this person has spent the last 11 years thinking about it. Anyways, the course that they created is called Omniverse 2, which I guess means that they've created Omniverse 1 in the past. Sure. And I watched this video. It's like a three-minute video. It's Or four minutes. It's very short. Wow. And at each sort of... there, There's sort of phases to it. Uh, when you watch it, you'll know what I mean. Where it okay. kind of like zooms out and shows you the broader perspective of the course and then mm-hmm. it'll zoom back in to mm-hmm. where your character is. Mm-hmm. At each phase where it zooms out, <laughs> each subsequent time, I was just like, no way! Holy shit. And like my excitement and disbelief just kept on growing and growing and growing. And by the end, I just could not believe that a human being had put in the time to create this. It is the most buckwild line rider course I've ever seen. So four minute video. You should go watch it. It's nuts. It's just insane. (laughs) It's really cool. I'm in. 
It like awesome. really, really shows mastery over the intricate physics of it. Like the way you can use little dots and lines to sort of trick the sled character. Like it thinks it's hitting a wall or it bump. And so you can use these little tiny marks to speed it up or slow it down or make it flip over. And it's really incredible. Cool. My cool thing this week is an iOS game and it's on iPad OS too called Good Sudoku, Brian. I've been talking about Sudoku. I think a few weeks ago I had uh, Cracking the Cryptic as my my cool thing, that YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, so I've been playing a lot of Sudoku lately and bugging you with screenshots of my accomplishments. <laughs> every day. Uh-huh. Not every day, but pretty frequently. <laughs> yeah. But I've been working my way up the difficulty levels. I'm, I'm now on what this app deems to be pro level. I can consistently solve those without uh, getting hints. But this app is great for learning how to play Sudoku so and, and getting better at it and solving harder problems. So it's made by two people, I think, uh, Zach Gage and Jack Schlesinger. Um, it's definitely a, a work of passion. These guys, I think, wanted to play Sudoku and play harder puzzles, but they ran into the difficulties of being a human and only being able to see so many things at a time. So they built this app to make it easier to kind of focus on what is available and where numbers can go as you're going through. So sometimes in a given box, only one number can go in a given cell. And it's hard to see that when you're just looking at you know it on paper or whatever. But with this, it has a focus mode. So it will kind of point out, those are called naked singles, Brian. Find okay. naked singles in uh-huh. your area. <laughs> uh, and okay. and uh, there's a lot of weird names for these things. I, I pointed out like there's X-Wing and Y-Wing, Star Wars references, but those are actually like things you have to identify to help solve the thing. Anyways, all this to say like this app is really well done. I think you had some some things to say about its aesthetics. I, I think it's fine. It, it definitely works. It's one of the better looking Sudoku apps in the app store. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But it's made playing Sudoku a lot more fun for me. I'm much better at it than I've ever been before. And I know what to look for now. I see the game a completely different way now than I used to. So for what it's worth, if you're interested in Sudoku, check out Good Sudoku in the app store. This to me, it it just reminds me of well, hang on. I'll say we started watching The Queen's Gambit, which is about chess. And yes. Oh, my God. I love that show. That that was going to be a future cool thing for me. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll try and finish it before you list it as a cool thing. Uh, right. We just started. But it seems to scratch this very similar itch, which is like a game that is infinitely deep, but the more you do it, the more quickly you can almost subconsciously pattern match. Mm-hmm. And identify where things should be or where the next logical move is based on like you blur your eyes and you see a density of numbers or, you know, your chess pieces in a certain position. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I don't know how to, <laughs> I'm not good at chess or anything like that, but it sort of reminds me of that. Like you can go infinitely deep, but the deeper you go, you just get very quick at pattern matching. Is that kind of true? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's why it appeals to me is because it's very much about geometry, right? It's like, it's not numbers, even though the whole thing is numbers. It's not really numbers so much as it is like, what can go where based on what's already there? You know what I mean? And visual alignment of things like columns and rows. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, from, yeah, you know, when I look in the ceiling, all I see is Sudoku games. You know? <laughs> when you take your uh, tranquilizers yeah, every night? Yeah, I take night. my pill every night and then I just play Sudoku on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
It's fun, man. I don't know if you're if you're into it at all. This is the way to play it, I think, because it makes the easier puzzles so much easier and it makes you want to try the harder ones to actually challenge yourself because that focus mode that I was talking about earlier, it kind of dumbs down the game a little bit to the point where you want to play harder ones because it's like, oh, yeah, it's just showing me that a five goes there. I don't have to think to figure that out. Right, right, right. I want to be thinking about Y wings and like um, naked singles, naked <laughs> naked singles, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love anything that has this vocabulary that is non obvious, and you only realize that there's a vocabulary once you start to get into the weeds. You know, same thing with chess. Like, there's a chess vocabulary, and if you aren't good enough or haven't had enough exposure, it's just nonsense. Like queens, bishop. I don't know. Like, there's yeah. weird things that describe the position of things, and you can replay an entire chess match by reading some letters and numbers like that's buck wild Mm -hmm. so same thing here yeah you're learning a vocabulary and you develop a shorthand and a for all these things to help you do it more easily or put articulations on on a pattern or the way things behave that's cool exactly yeah and i I think that's why i really like this app is because it teaches you there's a whole like learning section where you can learn all of these things and it'll show you examples but eventually you start to see patterns and then you realize there's a name for that, right? I think yeah. that's what you're kind of talking about. And that's like a really cool re- revelation to have. It's like, oh, I noticed a pattern. And yeah, they've already figured this out. There's a word for it now. Okay, cool. But I, I figured it out on my own. I, I realized this hidden gem that was there the whole time. I didn't realize it until I started looking more. And the people who are really smart, they've already figured this out. I feel smart now, you know? Oh, Anyways. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, what's what's the harder difficulty past pro? Uh, impossible. That's the highest. Okay. So solve an impossible and then I'll be impressed. Yeah. I'm done talking about Sudoku. All right. Well, let's get out of here. As we mentioned in the sidebar, we have a ratio and we are now in deep in the multi hours of editing territory. Mm -hmm. So sorry, future usses. Yeah. It's my fault to myself. Well, we hope you enjoyed it. This has been episode 375 of the design details podcast. If you did enjoy it uh, and want to consider supporting us, you can head to patreon.com slash design details. And for just a dollar a month, you can support making the show possible every single week. And in return, you get access to a supporter-only segment of the show called The Sidebar. Sidebar, This week, we talked about what it takes to start an interview podcast. And we think more people should start design podcasts. So if that's interesting and it's been on your mind, you should go uh, listen to that. So if you want to support us, head to patreon.com slash design details. Otherwise, tweet at us, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. You know, it's, there's different types of content and different types of audiences. And depending on what your content is and how well edited it is and how well edited it, it is. Fuck, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and how well edited it is. That's a weird combination of words. Yeah. yeah. I feel like um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, like, give it away, give it away, give it away. <laughs>